Thanks for downloading a 3CR podcast. 3CR is an independent community radio station based in Melbourne, Australia. We need your financial support to keep going. Go to www.3cr.org.au for more information and to donate online. Now stay tuned for your 3CR podcast. This program offers discussion and information on experiences of chronic and invisible illnesses. It should not be used for medical advice or as an alternative to advice from medical professionals. So hello, welcome to Chronically Chilled. Um, my name is Mario. Unfortunately, Maurice can't join us this month, um, but she'll be back for the next show. Um, but we've got a really special guest here today, um, Larissa McFarlane. Hello. Larissa is an artist and activist um, and has a long history with 3CR. I've just been hearing off air. Um, welcome and thank you so much for being on the show. Thank you. Thank you very much. It's an honour to be here. Um, it's an honour to have you as well. Um, before we get started, I just want to acknowledge the Wurundjeri people of the Kulin Nation, whose land we broadcast from today. Um, so, sorry. Oh, can I add to that? I would also like to acknowledge all the disability activists who have um, fought for disability rights over many generations that have brought me here today. Yeah, great. Um, so, Larissa, I saw your name pop up in the news kind of towards the end of last year. Yes. Um, you were part of or led uh, art display that was in Footscray that ended up getting ripped down. Yes. Um, can you tell us a little bit about that and kind of was there any resolution? <gasps> oh, that's such a big question. Mm. Um, and I, uh, it hasn't really been resolved. Um, the artwork was, was, it was called Disability Pride um, and there's a bit of a history that led me to be want to do the artwork but essentially it was um where I got together invited lots of different friends with disabilities and and also artists with disabilities um from quite a wide variety of disabilities so there was um physical disability mental illness brain injury I suppose using my own networks and and people um you know people that I have got to know over the recent years through the sort of disability movement in Melbourne and invited them to contribute some artwork that, uh, or some message or something that sort of either defined them or talked about the culture of disability. So I'm really interested in sort of building disability as a culture and recognising it as such. Mm. So some people, we, I worked with people to create some artwork and then um, we, I got them all pasted up and then we had a big event as part of... Um, Footscray had a one night in Footscray festival event so there was a big audience and so lots of people turned up probably about 40 people and we had a massive night pasting up all these images onto this big building in Footscray it's actually owned by Telstra so it's a really big building mm -hmm. and above it all was spelt out uh, international disability pride and it was pretty amazing um, and the idea was around creating a safe space in public for people with disabilities to identify because it's a really big issue. A lot of people don't who have a disability, especially it's an invisible disability, like mental illness or chronic illness, um, 
don't identify because of mm. the negative connotations surrounding disability. So let, this, yeah. yeah, let alone having the chance to express themselves around that as well. Yeah. yeah. Um, and I was actually quite overwhelmed and touched by the number of people that said, yes, I do want to be part of this because I wasn't expecting that because a lot of the people I know don't identify with this mm. word and they will say to me, I do not want to be identified as having a disability or even having a mental illness or whatever because I know of the discrimination and the stigma I'll face. Mm. And so when they said yes, I was like, wow, why are they saying yes to me? Yeah. And, um, and I think it's because, you know, that one, they trusted me and that I was a friend, but also because they saw that this was disability led and that this mm. wasn't sort of a service or um, somebody coming out outside our culture saying this is you know, what we're going to do. This was where people trusted me because it was a disability-led thing yeah. and it was about us. Mm. Yeah. So, yeah, it looked great. It looked great for a week. <sighs> um, and then, unfortunately, on International Day of People with a Disability, so it was about a week later, um, yeah, uh, the council's graffiti clean-up team removed it um, by mistake. Okay. Um, it's pretty hard to see how it was a mistake. Yeah. But it, well, apparently it was. I don't think we'll ever get to the bottom of mm, that. It's such a shame. Yeah. yeah. It is such a shame. And I think um, it, it, was, it was such a shame and it was such a big deal because, mm. uh, because people had come out for the first time in a public space and had really put their sort of themselves on the line yeah, to sort yeah. of put photos of themselves and stories about themselves onto this wall. Mm. And then to have it ripped away was just another reason of why people don't come out. And, and be proud yeah. and say, this is me. And yeah. Um, yeah, unfortunately, I haven't really completely worked through it. And I've also been um, quite ill since then. Yeah. So I haven't really managed to negotiate um, the complicated pathways that council makes yeah, yeah, um, yeah. to get it up. But it will get up at some point. Mm -hmm. And um, it's, it's not dying. Disability pride is yeah, um, yeah. is is going to grow, yeah. and I think this particular building in Footscray, I'm negotiating with Telstra that it will be sort of a permanent, ongoing display of oh, disability good. culture and pride. Yeah, great. Yay. I want to ask you about disability pride later. Okay. Um, so, how long have you been doing art? Oh, um, as long as I've had a disability. Yeah. Okay. Um, I twenty. Almost 20 years ago, when I was 29, I had a car accident and um, and had a brain injury and mm. broken bones. And um, it's quite, uh, yeah, and it was just so I was quite unwell. Yes. <laughs> and it was, it's a really, it's quite hard to think about then because the first few years were really quite terrible and um, confusing and devastating. And oh, there's something I want to say at this point because <laughs> I've been thinking a lot about this. In Australia, we don't really, brain injury is not really sort of, that's, we don't really, there's a lot of ignorance around brain injury mm. in the medical community as well as in the wider community. Yeah. And um, in America, they talk about mild, moderate and severe TBI. Mm. And technically, looking back, I probably had a mild traumatic brain injury and I don't feel comfortable saying that. But then I suddenly realised the other day that um, my mild traumatic brain injury meant that you know, the world found me mild, but the experience was not mild. Yes. So I think that's the way, yeah, I just yeah. wanted to point that out. No, it's a really good point about how we kind of get put into boxes. Yeah. And the boxes don't 
always match the experiences yeah. that we have. Yeah. Um, and I'd imagine something like a brain injury. <coughs> I, th- I, I was one. I was interested around how the medical system responded to that because I would imagine um, it would be from a deficit point of view that you yeah. know you're not able to do this anymore and all that kind of stuff. Is that yeah. something that you found? Um, well, mostly there isn't a lot of support and treatment for people with brain injury, mm. um, particularly mild brain injury. <laughs> yeah. um, there was quotation marks there. Yes. <coughs> but, um, um, uh, you know, like any, uh, like any illness or disability, the medical model also always works across the fact that, you know, it's a deficit and what's wrong with you mm. and, and meeting that. And I think... You know, for a long time I tried to get better and and work that. And then I suddenly went, I don't want to be wrong anymore. I don't want to be. Um, Oh, so I'll just say I didn't really identify with brain injury because it sounded so scary and Mm. I didn't really, I was so confused. And I actually joined, became quite connected with the chronic illness sort of network in Melbourne through the um, ME CFS um, networks and then with the fibromyalgia network because Mm. I discovered that I had Chronic pain is a really big issue for me. Yeah, okay. Um, and then I also ended up, like a lot of people with brain injury too and many other disabilities, end up in the community mental health system or even the clinical mental health system. Yeah. So that's where many of my commu- – I mean, it was great because I found community and I found friends because I had been quite isolated. Um, so, yeah, so I sort of feel like I've got quite a, um, a bit of a network across different disability. Mm. Yeah, great. Mm. Um, what was your question? <laughs> <laughs> You've answered it. Um, just going back to your art, so what kind of art do oh, you do? Art. Um, yeah, so after my brain injury, I literally was, uh, I suppose, became an artist, except that I wasn't making any art. I just became really, I had been a musician mm. and music was my life, but after my brain injury and still to this day, music is just really annoying noise mm. and that's quite a lot of grief attached with that. Yes. But at the same time, I remember after my injury that I was really interested in what I could see. There was all these really interesting things to look at mm. and shapes and textures and the way the buildings sort of met other buildings and colours. And um, and so very slowly um, I, you know, learned how to yeah. draw and become a visual artist. And probably about 10 years after my brain injury, I discovered and which was when I was sort of able to start um, uh, really being able to dedicate some energy mm. to that because fatigue has been a really big issue with brain injury and it is from all people with brain injury. Yeah. Um, yeah, so I started discovered printmaking and liner cuts and etchings and so that's sort of how I see myself. But then I also, along the way, I was doing making community art with my, with my peers um, and... After many years, I realised, oh, I'm doing community art. So that's another... <laughs> so it's stuff you were doing but didn't realise you were kind of doing it, is yeah. it, it sounds like. Yeah. Um, and then I also ended up, I'm also probably most well known now for my street art practice, except mm. that I'm not a street artist. I just do one thing, which is I paste up um, images of myself in handstands because yeah. um, 13 years ago I decided that handstands would help me. I don't know why, but I just decided that this would help me and I was quite obsessed and I learned how to do handstands and I've been doing them every day ever since as a way of trying to manage, um, you know, my trauma and my brain injury and my emotional Mm. distress and, and yeah, lots of things and pain. It's quite 
bizarre and so I decided I kept it a secret for a long time because yeah. there was a sort of sense of shame around my handstands. No one saw me do them and, <clears throat> and, and then I was like, this is so ridiculous. Like this is this amazing thing I can do now. Yeah. I want to share that but also keep it still private. So yeah, hence yeah. these sort of sort of ghostly black and white images of myself in handstands yeah. in odd places in the street. I was going to ask you about your awesome handstands um, <laughs> and the photos of it look amazing and, and things like that. Everybody can check it out online. Um, but I didn't realise that it's also kind of sounds like a self-soothing thing for you almost. Totally. Mm. Um, if I was, um, oh, I don't know if I'm, this is inappropriate, but I was just thinking, you know, if I was autistic, this could be my stimming behaviour, you mm. know, that uh, often people with autism or neurodiversity will do repetitive actions as a soothing um, yes. thing and handstands are that for me when I start to feel really anxious and and um, and need to calm down or I'm in a lot of pain I just sort of whip around the corner where no one can see me and just mm. do a handstand if I'm crying it's amazing doing a handstand because I feel and you know my dress falls down over my head so no one can see me and I can just have a good cry and then eventually I go this is really a bit funny <laughs> <laughs> that's, that's great yeah um so can you kind of talk a little bit about the relationship between your art and your activism? Because it doesn't sound like your activism is very far away from your art. No. Um, I should point out that I call myself a disability activist mm. and that's sort of quite new. I mean, it's only really been the last couple of year or so that I've publicly identified myself as such and I think mm. I do so not because I think I'm actually that good a disability activist yeah. but that I think it's a... It's a political statement I'm making that I think that I'm interested in, in you know, disability rights mm. and I want to further those and I want to work with community and my peers and I want to use my art to make that happen. But I also want to show the world that, you know, disability activism is a thing and that, that there are disability rights and I want to align it, you know, with the civil rights movement and, and with other, you know, movements around LGBTI and women's rights movements. Mm. This, is a, this is just as valid. Um, and and also I want to encourage other people who other people with disabilities who fight for their rights to also call themselves disability activists. So that's I just wanted to pop that in. Yeah. Um, but yeah. So my art. Well, I think it's an op. My activism or my commitment to creating a better world for people with disabilities and myself as well, because that's it all comes back to me, really, as it does for all of us. Um, and, the, you know, the way that I feel like I can do that is through art because that mm. is where I have put my skills and my um, where I've spent a lot of time working and I, I think that art's a really good medium um, to explore ideas. Mm. Um, and I personally found it, have found it, you know, quite empowering and useful to use art to explore yeah. Stuff in my life. Yeah. And it's such a connector of people as well. Yeah. You know, you're able to kind of connect people and get people together and things like that. Yeah. Uh, it's, yeah. It's a really, it can be a really powerful, powerful thing, right? Yeah. 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 Um, we're just going to take a quick break. Um, I'm just looking at the time. It's going very quickly. <laughs> um, we'll be back in just a minute. Want to support 3CR's diverse and independent voices? 
Donate now by calling 9419 8377 or donate online at www.3cr.org.au or post us a cheque or money order to Post Office Box 1277 Collingwood 3066. Okay, uh, welcome back to Chronicle Chilled. Uh, you can listen to us on the 855am radio band on digital or via 3cr.org.au. We are also in the process of making all of our shows available on podcast. Uh, you'll be able to access them on the Chronicle Chilled page on 3CR website and also on iTunes. Um, I just need the energy to kind of do all that. So hopefully in the next kind of few weeks. Um, there's one there and I did listen to it and it was really good. Okay, thanks. And I'm not very good at navigating the internet and I found it really easy to find and mm. listen to. So, you know, tick. <laughs> Thank you for that. Um, I'm talking to Larissa McFarlane, um, who is an activist and an artist. Um, Larissa, I was really interested because I have a congenital condition that's meant that it's kind of always been there for me. Yeah. You know, it's, I've kind of born with it. It's kind of always been around, you know, and I never had that kind of thing that, that event or that diagnosis that kind of basically turned my life upside down. Mm. And I'm wondering what that was like for you because it sounds like it was, mm. you know, a big thing that happened, yeah. Um. Yeah, although alternatively I could say I don't know what it's like to have had a disability since birth or had, mm, you know, this. Yeah. Um, it, it is, I think they're very different experiences. Um, what was it like? <laughs> I don't know, it's horrible mm. um, to have your life turned upside down. Yeah. Um, and oh, I don't know. Mm. Um, I think it's like learning how to live your life again. I mean, yeah. having a brain injury means a lot of learning a lot of what you know, having to learn it again, and some things mm. come more quickly and some things more slowly, mm. um, and also learning how to be a different person um, who has different abilities and, in the case of brain injury, sometimes different personalities. Um, yeah. I experienced a bit of that. Yeah, okay. Um, yeah, I think... I don't know. I think I need a clearer question. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, just in kind of, just in terms of even like socially and things like that, in terms of how people around you responded yeah. also to. Oh, look, it, it wasn't. It wasn't a good experience. Yeah, okay. Um, I uh, I would say that I used to. S I mean, I became isolated very quickly, um, in the sense that. I think that most we mostly when you're able-bodied, you know, your friends are around your work and your maybe your social life. And mm. I wasn't able to work anymore after my yeah. brain injury, and I also wasn't able to like go out at night. Or so I quickly the friendships um, dropped away, and I think also that people find it really hard. They don't know what to say or do, or I don't know. It's fear of people with um, illness are. Uh, you know, bring up people's fear of their own mortality yeah. and it's easier just to sort of move aside, move away. I had some friends, you know, it felt like they were, they moved into state and it felt like they were doing it to get away from <laughs> me. Um, I'm sure they had other reasons. Mm. Um, but, um, and I would say 90%. Um, I also had a, people, you know, disappeared. I mean, I was also really lucky in the sense that I had a good friend 
um, who moved in with me and mm. became my carer. And I also was in a relationship at the time and um, and my partner then, st- he did stick around for about 18 months, yeah. um, which I'm very grateful for. Mm. But in the end, you know, I, th- I don't... It, yeah, so it was really tricky. And then, but I actually also then decided to leave, as in leave my the, where I lived. I thought I'm just going to. I'm a new person. I'm independent. I'm. I'm. I'm I, have this, I need to go and discover my life. I'm going to move across town to the other side, which was the west, yeah. um, thinking I would build a new life and make friends. Um, but I didn't. It was yeah. pretty hard, and yeah. I was. It got even more isolated. So I don't know if I'd recommend doing that. But I don't know if I had any choice as well. It's mm. what I needed to do. Um, it's such a familiar story. Like, yeah. It's kind of, I hear, like, it, it, I kind of can relate to that as well, yeah. just con- from my own experience. Um, and I never, you know, I was born with it, but as I kind of got more and well, more yeah. and well, kind of people that kind of just started to disappear that I didn't think would ever disappear. Yeah. You know, and for whatever it is, I think it's their stuff in some ways yeah. around yeah. what happens for them as well when there's somebody around that is really unwell or whatever. Yeah. Um, but I just, it's such a consistent thing that happens, yeah. Yeah. And I think that's what eventually made me really committed to building a strong um, disabled community mm. or being part of that because I realised that um, I relate best to my peers or people who have similar yeah. type experiences to me. Yeah. And, um, and that's where I will get my strength Mm. in myself yeah you mentioned before um when you were talking about your project that was in Footscray yeah around the fact that it was disability led yeah and just the importance of that can you speak a little bit more about that um I will I I wish I could actually because Mm. I don't think there's a lot of disability led stuff in Australia this is yeah um we um and it's yeah it's such a shame I, I I'm it's really important, I think, in terms of that same thing, you know, uh, working with your peers, having confidence mm. uh, in other people and trust. Mm. And I've been part of disability services where I don't have trust in the workers there. Um, there, there is an incredible power imbalance there. Yeah. Um, you, even your emails that I've recently discovered, that your emails that you may have with a worker in a disability service can be some can be they're not private. Yes, and. I should know better, but it was a rather a shock to find that out, yeah. and and deeply disconcerting mm. for me to go. I can't even. Yeah. How am I going to communicate? Because yes. it's important to have that trust. Um, I'm hopeful. I mean, there are some there are some great disability led um, things mm. in Melbourne, but they're few and far between. Yeah. Um, and I hope that changes soon. I think the NDIS with that rollout, the philosophy of the NDIS is really great mm. and will hopefully lead to more um, uh, independent disability-led organisations. But um, I think that the, the amount of bureaucracy that's tied up with the NDS at the moment is actually not going to let that happen at the moment. Yes, and and I don't – I'm really pessimist about this because yeah. um, I actually work in the community services sector as well. Okay. So when you were kind of saying there's such a big power imbalance and um, often these organisations – do things because they think it's a good idea to do. Yeah. Um, I think we do a really bad job of consulting with community and working side by side. We so do. And I think it's I think it's actually gotten worse. 
Um, and this kind of bureaucracy is coming in now where kind of the point of these agencies are actually is changing in some ways. Yeah. You know, it's about numbers and all this kind of stuff. Well, as somebody but pointed I, out the other day, it's a business. These community services and, yeah. and health services, they're, they're, they're working on a business model yeah, now. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Absolutely is. Yeah. can't do community consultation. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, so kind of, um, yeah, it makes it even more important that there's there's kind of disability-led initiatives and stuff. Yeah. Yeah. I think, um, I think that Australia, because we have, because there's been these sort of top-heavy power um, disability services and disability organisations mm. that do things for other people and there's this sort of sense of, it's not a, it's, you know, the catch cry of the disability rights movement of the 90s was nothing about us without us. And yeah. that's that's not, it's all about doing for and what's best for you. Yeah. And, um, oh, damn it, I've lost my point, my thread there. <laughs> it's coming. Um, yeah, so because of that, I think that we have quite a, I might be shot down for this, I don't know, but we have a really low level of skill within dis- people with disabilities in Australia. Um uh, Graeme Innes, who was the ex-disability discrimination and commissioner for Australia, he um, he used to talk about the soft bigotry of low expectations, mm. and we don't have high expectations for people with disabilities. Yes. Something I face continually is, and and, I, and my peers have, is that we're just not expected to do very mm. much, and so we don't. Yeah, um, and which is which is what the medical system is, thinks yeah. of us as well, right? Yeah, there's it something kind of goes through our society, yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah, um, and and because of that, we we don't have a lot of resources and skills mm. um, to be able to, um, you know, be able to set up, you know, big disability led organisations. Yeah, but yeah. it is slowly happening. Yeah, there is I, a shift. Yeah, it's a work in progress. <laughs> yeah. yeah, I mean, just this just this week, um, there was a really great article in the Hub, an announcement that Arts Access Victoria is um, the the CEO is stepping down mm. so that a person with a disability will lead the organisation. Yeah, great. And um, that makes two statewide arts disability organisations that have now done that. Actually, three. Sorry. Yeah. Great. Yeah. So there is progress. Mm. Mm. Um. It's been an absolute honour to have you on the show, Larissa. Oh, and we didn't even get to talk about the social oh, model no, of disability. We haven't. I, <laughs> I feel like I can talk to you for hours. Um, and unfortunately, <laughs> we don't have the time for that. Um, I'd love to get you back on the show, though, because I think, yeah, I could just, yeah. there's so many things that I could talk to you about. Great. I, um, I, I, I do think that the social model is something that we need to talk about more and more so mm. that people start to understand um, the difference between the social model and the medical model, like you said, which is dominates our thinking and yeah. prevents people with disabilities from being able to, you know, come into their own. Yeah, absolutely. All right, next time. Next time. <laughs> All right. Um, so um, Chronically Chilled is on the first Wednesday of every month. Um, our next show will be uh, Wednesday, the April the 2nd. Um, you can follow us on Twitter, um, which is at chilled underscore 3CR. Um, or if you have any suggestions or feedback, we'd really love to hear from you. Um, you can email us at chronicallychilled3cr at gmail.com. Um, thank you again, Larissa, for joining us. Thanks for having me. Um, so thanks for listening and we'll see you next time. <laughs>